coming off of like a, almost a decade of of what seemed to be failure after failure, you know, seeing everything that I ever had or worked for built up, to, you know, stripped away, uh, losing a lot of comforts, a lot of securities, you know, seeing my wife, you know, get to deeper depths all the time in in her worries and concerns. It was just a really bad year. You know, I'll tell you, uh, I've only started sharing this more recently because I've noticed that when I do, um, there's enough people that probably get to these places, maybe not the same journey that I took, but the, a similar destination. Right. I, I got to a place where I just said, God, I, I don't want to be here anymore. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Eric Holman, who is currently the chief marketing officer for Barton Nutrition, but is best known as the creator of Socially Loved and the Local Love Book. The native of South Dakota and father of five is a serial entrepreneur with an impressive record of launching concepts and growing them into highly successful companies. But Eric's story does not have a fairy tale ending, at least not yet. A move to Tallahassee led to significant financial and emotional struggle, topped by a COVID shutdown that closed one business and threatened another. He found himself searching for his place in a world that was not working out as he had planned. Just three weeks after wondering to himself if his family might be better off without him, Eric was diagnosed with a life-threatening brain condition that required immediate surgery. Now completely recovered, he says he's grateful for a family and a God who have been faithful to love him in good times and in bad. We started our conversation talking about growing up in a small town in South Dakota. Grow up in a small school, you kind of do everything, play every sport, you're in every activity. Growing up in a small town had its benefits and some disadvantages. You know, uh, for me personally, with the the personality I have, uh, it probably caused me to, you know, being that big fish in, in a small pond, uh, can give you a lot of confidence. And if you have the character to go with that, that can be a really good thing. Um, I don't think I had that growing up. So like having all that confidence was was maybe more of a liability for me, um, mm. you know, caused me to believe some things about myself that weren't true and and led me down some paths that I probably shouldn't have went down. But Right. Um, so you were kind of a the big man on campus kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that in, Sports. Right. Yeah. yeah. What did you play? Uh Basketball, football um, were my primary sports, but okay. I played basketball in college in South Dakota as well. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, tell us about your family. What mm-hmm. did what was your family dynamic like? Did you have siblings? Yeah. You know, what was all that like? Yep. I've got uh, an older two, two older sisters. Um, one of them my parents adopted when she was 10 years old, um, one biological. And then I have a younger brother, a couple years younger than me. Grew up in a really solid Christian home. My parents, uh, you know, they've been married for 50 years now, solid relationship. They modeled that for us. You mentioned you went on to play basketball at Dakota State University. Mm-hmm. Um, what was, was that a, I mean, was that your focus for college or did you choose this school just because of that? Or what, what were your dynamics in choosing where you wanted to go to school? Pretty funny. When I was a senior in high school, um, again, this is the the big fish speaking like you know, career plans, you got to give a speech on what your career is going to be. And I was going to play in the NBA. Well, <laughs> yeah. when you're 6'2", and probably not the quickest, fastest guy on the court, uh, but in my mind, I I was certainly, that was going to be my career. So determined to, to be a professional basketball player. Um, chose my, uh, made my college selection 100% based on who would give me a full ride basketball scholarship. Right. Um, I 
was also a good student, so there's plenty of scholarships for academics that were being offered, but I I didn't even want to look at them because my you wanted for, to play basketball. I wanted to play basketball, and I wanted to be able to tell everybody I was on a full ride scholarship to play basketball. Right. That was important to me at the time. <laughs> right. So, so I chose. Uh, actually, went to Huron University first. Okay. Um, played for Fred Paulson. He was the NAIA uh, version of Bobby Knight. Um, they actually did an article on him in Sports Illustrated for being that. So successful, but a little fiery. Yeah, very yeah. fiery, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, different than what I grew up in. Right. Uh, okay. So that was. That was actually a pretty humbling for me and challenging year um, coming out of high school and and being a freshman and taking that, uh, you know, just a, a different approach to to being coached. All right. What did you major in in school? Um, I kind of went back and forth really between education and uh, business. I've always loved kids. So even in high school, college, I babysat. I had nieces and nephews that were kind of like my own kids. So I, I thought education would be great. I was going to be a kindergarten teacher. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I even did the, you know, the student classroom observations oh, yeah? and stuff and loved it. But uh, then I, I, uh, I was back and forth between business because I, I always wanted to be successful too. I want to, you know, success being Money, right? Right. <laughs> so a kindergarten teacher is not the path to financial independence? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I had never seen it. <laughs> and I don't know if I could have invented it. So yeah, probably not. I decided to uh, stick it down the, the business path. I okay. actually met my now wife, uh, Carrie, who she also played basketball. She I remember her saying, well, I've always I've always thought about marrying a, a business guy. Her dad was a banker, right? And uh, that influenced your decision. I guess, yeah. <laughs> so, how'd you meet? Were you were the facilities together, and you would run into each other at practice, or how did that work? Yeah, small school. I was uh, working my way up the ranks, trying to get to her level, and uh, eventually got there. So, she was warned plenty of times, uh, but she she went against the warnings <laughs> and, and gave me a shot. Nice. <laughs> so what did you do when you graduated? What what kind of job did you get out of school? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a little funny story. When when I was in college, our our college, Dakota State, was known for its computer programs. Okay. Uh, it still is nationally. Um, it's very it's a computer college. I hated computers, like with a passion. They were just frustrating to me. And so kind of ironic because uh, one of the instructors there who had taken a liking to me, he invited me into this um, – Computer Information Systems Club, I guess you'd call it. It was a kind of like to highlight the the top level computer kids at the school. And for some reason, he thought I would be a good fit. I think he just wanted somebody from one of the sports teams to be part of it. <laughs> it gives this program some <laughs> credibility, I guess. I guess maybe yeah. on campus. Yeah. Um, so he invited me in. I didn't. Uh, all I heard, he said a lot of words, but the the only thing I heard him say was, "This is going to help you a lot when you're you're going to get a job." And uh, so I did. I, I got into it. Didn't didn't really have to do anything other than show up, take pictures at the events, and be you know with the rest of the group. And and yeah, I was like one of the only athletes in it. So you know, kind of different. Yeah. But uh, when I graduated, I started looking at jobs and what the opportunities were. And because I had this you know information systems you know, badge that I could wear, right. I, I started applying for the jobs that were paying more, which were programmer jobs. Now, I hated computers. I didn't, I really didn't know how to do any of that, right. but I was confident enough um, and maybe a little arrogant enough to just go after the highest paying jobs and ended up landing a job as a computer programmer, um, you know, system guy. And I thought immediately, first day on the job, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I, of course, that didn't come out of my mouth, but it was in my head. Right. And uh, so I went straight back to uh, graduate school at Dakota State to go get my master's in IS so I could actually learn what I needed to do to, to make it at work. Did you have any idea at that point kind of what you wanted to do long term? Did you have any career goals or anything? No, really at that point, um, for me, life has been like a a shift of one focus to the next and I and I haven't been able to lift my eyes up to see past whatever I'm focused on. And really Dave, like I'll tell you, it, it maybe it's a disorder. Um, because literally when I'm on the phone talking to somebody, I can't even hear what's happening around me. I can't I can't look at things happening around me or it distracts me and I can't mm. So it's like uh, I have this inability to multitask and uh, like to a deep degree. And that, you know, on a different level, 
that idea of like whatever I've been into in life has been where all of my focus has been and I can't quite lift my eyes to see what, what's coming next. Right. And then in 2002, you took the first step in being a serial entrepreneur, right? Because you started a local business, the mm-hmm. uh, communities, uh, you started a community search engine. I did. So yeah. that's that had to be kind of cutting edge for that time period, right? So this was a localized Google kind of thing or yeah, what was it? That's exactly, um, we, we, I got my hands on some open source software, search engine software, uh, had a guy uh, localize it, um, basically just feeding it full of local businesses and information. Right. I was living in Mitchell, South Dakota at the time. And uh, I thought this would be a good solution to uh, bring to other communities. And I, I saw that the Chamber of Commerce might be a good avenue to do that. So I started working with the local Chamber of Commerce in Mitchell. He was became a big advocate of mine, um, you know, to his members and also to other chamber directors around the state. So I found myself, uh, you know, bought a projector and a screen and traveling screen and found myself driving around to, you know, chamber offices around yeah. the state, visiting all the top, you know, eight to 10 of them, uh, showing them what I was, you know, cooking up and had a lot of interest going. So uh, where did the idea come from? Uh, you know, actually, I used to sit around for just like day after day, just dreaming up business ideas, you know, really young. So, you know, mid twenties, but I knew I wanted to do something on my own, right. something different. And, uh, and also that, like I'm in that transition phase of, okay, I'm no longer in college. I'm not in the MBA like I thought I would be. You know, now how am I going to, how am I going to get to the glory land? Right. Right. So there's still like, a lot of money to be made. Yeah. Somewhere, right? Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere I got to find this <laughs> right. pot of gold. Yeah. So cooking up ideas, you know, dreaming every night and uh, this, this one just sounded like an interesting concept to chase after. Uh, we got it rolled out. Uh, the community got behind it, you know, primarily because the chamber um, was yeah. supportive of it and uh, respect, respected. Brian Heisel was the chamber executive, very respected man in town. And uh, But then dealing with other chambers, I started to realize that that process was going to be really slow uh, because chambers were just moving real slow about new things. And uh, Brian warned me of that as well. He said, you know, I, I can tell you're kind of a faster moving entrepreneur. This concept is good, but it may not roll out at the speed you anticipate because chambers, you know, he just yeah. educated me on how chambers work. Right. Um, more. A bu- lot of people involved yeah. in the decision making process. For sure. Yeah. So I, I uh, kind of pivoted from that concept, uh, sold the, the business, moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and uh, started up a new new business there in 2000, beginning of 2005. Right. Um, the local best. Yeah. Right? Yep. So tell us about that. That was my next question. Sure. Um, so the genesis of that one was just uh, you see these best of programs all over the place. So it wasn't a new idea. Um, I just I thought that uh, there'd be a real good way to capitalize on the power of the, the vote. Um, so built a vote – had a voting system built, hired a company to, to build one. Um, we started out with postcards. We mailed out, you know, postcards to every home in town in Sioux Falls. You know, at the time, I think it was 70,000 homes. And uh, each one had a unique voting code on it. They could go on, online and vote using that code. Uh, but you only get one ballot per household. Right. Locally here, we have Best of Tallahassee. Yeah. It's run by Tallahassee Magazine. Mm-hmm. Right. So part of that model is you can advertise in the magazine, use the logo and tell people that, you know, remind people that the readers chose you. So what vehicle did you have to like, what would they, how would you make money in this model? Right. So our primary medium was a annual publication as well. Okay. Um, So if you were one of the top five in an industry, you could advertise in that publication um, all the winners were listed in it. So you, whether you paid anything or not, you were going to get listed um, right. based on your your ranking. Uh, but if you were one of those top five, you could also run advertising in it so people could find out more about you. And that that was, uh, I could tell that, A, I'd, I'd come across a good hook to get meetings because I'd call people and tell them they were voted into something they, they had won, especially when they had seen it around town. Yeah. Other people either talking about, hey, vote for us, vote for us, or they'd talk about being a winner in it. So there was a curiosity and an awareness factor that really kicked in. And then 
you know, the hook to get the meetings was really simple. If, if they won, they wanted to see the results. So I'd say, yeah, I got all the results. I'll bring them in. But that How was, were they distributed? Uh, we mailed them around town and then uh, put them in racks and stacks, okay. um, you know, all over for people to pick up. All right. So that took off people yeah. that, that worked for you and people were excited about it? It did. It, it took uh, took about three years to figure out like the uh, a pure model for it. I think when mm-hmm. I started, it was a little bit more of a hold you hostage model. Mm-hmm. So I started to let go of some things that I thought I needed to, to hold on to. Like know? what? Uh, like I wouldn't let anybody use our logos in their ads unless they paid. Like holding things back from them um, to try to get them to advertise thinking that would be the way to make them advertise. Um, you know, you, you can't even, you can't even tell anybody that you won this thing unless you're an advertiser. So you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta pay for the rights to, to speak about it, at least with our logos. Right. But that didn't work. I didn't like it. I didn't like how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it worked. People, you know, people did advertise, we made money. Um, but I, I didn't like how I felt about it. So each year I just kind of kept taking bigger steps, even in, you know, from the first year where we, they weren't going to be listed in the publication unless they paid the next year we put everybody in there and then we weren't going to rank them. And then it was like, okay, well, I'm going to rank them. Like every year I just, just kept making strides in how it made me feel. Right. And, uh, somehow, uh, surprisingly or not, uh, the, the revenue and financial outcomes just kept getting better as I made the, the product and the concept more pure. Right. So by the third year, I felt really good about what we had built, you know, what it was doing in the community right. and how I felt about it. So that's awesome. Yeah. And as it continued to grow and be more successful, you eventually to expand, you eventually needed to raise some capital. Right. And so you, you start, it starts getting serious at this point when you're using other people's money. Right. For sure. So for, I rode the wave for about four years it, it, because it's an annual, um, I could, work hard for a few months and then I had the rest of the year to play with my kids. My kids were really little back then. So I, that's when I was in like super dad mode. Yeah. Um, could play with my kids all the time, you know, t- take them to all their events, bring them to school, be at all their activities. And then also, um, you know, volunteer for different, uh, you know, mm. ministries, organizations that I was passionate about. So it gave me tons of freedom financially and with my time. And so I did, I rode that way for a while, four or five years. Yeah. And then, I was having breakfast with a mentor of mine who I got connected to um, and no agenda at all. Just we were having breakfast, at, you know, every other week or so. He happened to be a, a VC guy. You know, he had a venture capital fund, a couple few of them that he started and ran. And and uh, one day I was telling him, yeah, I'm just kind of bored with what I'm doing. Like it's been going for, you know several years now. I feel like it's not challenging. Right. I want to do something new. What do I do at this stage? Like you're a smart business guy. He's like, well, Eric, I mean, that's, that's what I do. Like <laughs> we fund businesses. We can, we could buy the business from you. Cause he knew about the business. You know, he lived in the city I did and everybody knew about right. it. He's like, it's a great business. And you know, we've talked through the numbers. He's like, it's a really, it's a really good business. And we, we could buy it from you and we would then expand it and, um, or we could buy a part of it from you and we could expand it with, and you'd be able to just come along for the ride or we could invest in it with you and you could stay in charge of it and run it and grow it. Uh, he's like, there's all kinds of ways, you know, things that you can do at this point because you have a good business. And right. I was like, wow, that's interesting. Never really even had given it, you know, really never gave it a thought. He got my wheels turning and uh, that was 2010. Um, by early 2011, we were pulling together um, a fund for it and getting a team ready. And I was finding guys to to help me go expand the concept. So we sort of move into other markets. Yeah, that was the plan. Yep, yep. So found some guys, um, really great group of guys. It was really a fun season, um, you know, that I went through of of pulling together that team and, and going out. Cause we were, you know, we, we made the decision to go tackle some markets down South. We were living in, I was in South Dakota at the time, Sioux Falls. Right. Um, we had to rebrand the concept because of trademark issues we ran into. We called it locals love us. We kicked off five markets down, uh, Texas, Louisiana in those, in that first year. Um, and my growth in my mind, the growth model was like, we were on the stick part of the hockey stick, not the flat part that you hit the puck with. So I was like, we got to get to 40 in the next year and, you know, like ultra right. fast growth. It, 
we didn't have the capital to grow like that um, and shouldn't should not have poured that kind of capital on it. It wasn't ready. So we slowed things down. We tried to mature the markets we were in. Uh, we did find that a franchise model was going to be a better um, a better model for this concept with the type of you know local commitment that it took. Right. And so we we did a pivot um, in there to, from corporate owned to a franchise model. During that time, I'll tell you, like I, I met one of uh, the best mentors I've ever had, uh, Jeff Agater. He had started and run a, a company, a, a card services company in Sioux Falls, grew it to I don't know, 60 million. It was a great company. He's, wow. He sold his part out. And then at age 52, I think he was, came in and met me um, while I was you know, trying to run this company that was it's a big change for me, right? I'm used to just being almost a solo solopreneur. You know, I had right. a couple employees, you know, but it, the companies that, that I had done to there was was mostly me and a, a few people around me that were helping out, mostly part-time. And uh, now I had a team of 30 and, you know, got executive team and and uh, it's just a different different ball game. So they, they brought Jeff in to talk to me. I think they needed uh, to try to find a parent to bring along the child here. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> right, and he he met me, and he said he felt like the Lord was calling him to help me, and uh, so he came in. He became uh, my president of the company, so that and really, I looking back on it, it's like Jeff was the guy that was running the company. I mean, they gave me the CEO title, so I could feel like I was important. Right, well, and uh, it was your baby to start with. Yeah, so. yeah. But Jeff, Jeff came in and and uh, delicately ran the company with me. Um, I learned a ton and we still have an amazing relationship. He's, he's one of the guys I go to whenever I, yeah, whenever I'm down or up or in between, I'm looking to him right. for, for advice and, and to share wins with. So, so the company's growing, things are doing well. You've got the management side taken care of, you know, by bringing in him, Jeff. And so that's all good. Right. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it, I think the reason I brought Jeff in is because our ambitious uh, growth plans were not taking, uh, you know, they weren't coming to fruition as fast and and the way that we had planned. So we weren't, although we were expanding into markets, we weren't at, weren't profitable in them. So we're still trying to find profitability. And the more markets you add, and and uh, if you haven't broke into the the right side of that equation you know, the more, more debt you're taking on and right. more rounds of potential equity you're, you're going to do. So it was, it was a, a little bit hairy there for a while, which was really helpful to have Jeff come in and help us get through that. Um, we did settle things out, things leveled. We were able to find, you know, profitability. We could start to expand again. And then at that time, um, you know, as we were really tight, you know, trying to, trying to cut, cut some costs, um, Jeff asked me if I wanted to go get back down, you know, get into the markets and get my hands in it closer. Cause I'm kind of, I'm really a product guy at heart. Like I really like to invent and create and I got a million ideas. And so being disconnected, you know, being in Sioux Falls and all these markets are down away from me. It's like, you know, would you want to go? Right. We're the closer to one. Is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I, I, I actually probably like to take this down to another territory and expand it. So I started looking at the Southeast down here and uh, the markets that were the right size and everything. And uh, my wife and I, we, we prayed about it. We, uh, we actually ended up uh, rolling the dice on it, which is crazy. Um, I, I said, if it's a three, we're going. You mean to literal dice? Literal dice, yeah. I picked one up off the counter. It was laying there. I said, if, if I roll a three, because, you know, you pray about things a long time and you're right. asking for signs and you want a piece about something. And we were, we were kind of feeling like it's either, it's either Tallahassee or it's Colorado. Um, we're looking at Fort Collins. Right. And uh, I'm like, all right, if it's three, it's Tallahassee. Four, it's uh, Fort Collins. And if not, we're not going anywhere. I rolled a three. I picked it up and rolled it again. It hit three. And my wife grabbed it and rolled it again. And it hit three, <laughs> three times in a row. And so, all right, well, statistically, <laughs> the chances of that are pretty low, I will, right. I will say. Yeah. So yeah. we, you know, being maybe foolish. I don't know. We're supposed to be children, right? Uh, foolish like a child. Right. <laughs> so Tallahassee was the destination. I guess. So we, we did. We packed up, moved down here, didn't know anybody, um, just loaded up, left our house behind. We had built a house there that we were living in and uh, didn't didn't really plan too far ahead. We just knew that we needed to go. So we, we left and left the house and uh, wasn't a couple years later, we finally sold it. But 
we were down here on assignment, I guess, like, okay, what are we- what To are we do doing? the same model Yeah, here? we were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Okay. We didn't even have a place to stay. We stayed in a hotel for with our five kids for a month wow. while we found a place to lock down. And uh, then we moved in and- and then it was, I, I started to work on getting the business started here and I just was struggling with it. I was struggling with the, the concept. I was struggling with a lot of things. I was, I was really going to maybe a, a place in my, um, a season in my life where I was, I was going deep, deep into my faith. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think looking back, I think that's what was happening because I was starting to struggle with some altruistic things about the concept um, that now I look at and I'm like, oh, that really wasn't that big of a deal. But at the time I was just struggling. So That it wasn't altruistic enough? Yeah, or? for sure. Okay. Like I, I kept thinking, God, it's, this program is all about like, you know, it, it's a popularity contest and it's all about, you know, giving people, you know, people bragging about being the best and best, best, best. It just for some reason I was just like feeling nagged by it, and I couldn't get over it. So my wife is like, "Well, why are we why are we down here trying to do something that you're not excited about? Like that doesn't make any sense." Right. She doesn't want to hear me complain every day because I I will if something's <laughs> bugging me. Right. And uh, so yeah, we I just I started to consider that maybe maybe it wasn't for me to continue and. And soon enough, I I got a strong nudge from the Lord. I was praying in my office at my house one day and whiteboarding out ideas for that concept. And all of a sudden, a new concept came to mind as I was dreaming. And uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but like supernatural, felt like the Lord was right there speaking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, a few events that happened that, you know, you've had them happen where you just go, okay, God, this is you. Um, and so I guess I'll do what you tell me to do. And he led me into something new. It was uh, socially loved. Was what uh, the name that the name came to you. The name was coming to me. Yep, right. Like, this, and I wanted to be about celebrating what people love about any and everybody. So it's not just we're not going to be talking about you know who who's the best and and uh, having votes and it isn't right. going to be about that. We're going to find out, you know, because every business out there is loved by somebody or they would not be in business, right? Yeah. So like that idea of, you know, everybody is good. Everybody has something good to share. Everybody's doing something good for somebody. Let's go find the really good things that are happening and let's let's try to promote those. Well, that, that turned out to be a heck of a journey. Um, so what did you do with the old business? How did you disconnect from yeah. what you were doing before? So that was that was the challenging part was, okay, I've, I'm down here to expand this concept that you guys have invested millions of dollars into. And uh, now I'm thinking about, you know, jumping ship and doing something new. So I had some really good heart-to-hearts. These guys are all believers as well. But again, I'm good friends with them all. And so we, we were able to talk candidly and openly about all of it. And uh, one day I, I felt the Lord. I was out, outside just uh, praying and asking God, what, what do I do with all this? And I, I heard him tell me, not audibly, but I felt him tell me to give my part of the business back, no strings attached, just mm-hmm. give it away. And at the time it was like we were – like, that's all I have. I've invested everything I have into that business. I don't, you know, I've left my home in South Dakota. We don't have that. Um, I don't have anything. Like, why would I give away something that, you know, is is my only, right. you know, it's seven figures of net worth and it's all I have. And uh, so I went in and told my wife that. And that day we, again, that supernatural signs came our way that day and uh, clear. For my wife, she's 100% security based, and I'm 100% adventure based. So we we try to find the middle on that. But uh, yeah. you can imagine for someone whose like deepest human need is is security and yeah. consistency, that that's really hard to hear. Is like we're going to give give that away. But when God made it clear, we both agreed. And yeah, that's what we need to do. So we did. We gave gave back our shares in the business. Um, to all of the investors that had participated up to that point. And uh, we decided to go off on a new adventure. Okay. So you come up with the idea for Socially Loved. You have an idea of celebrating what's great about all businesses. So how did you, what was the process of developing the business model, figuring out how you were going to do this? 
So you're not starting from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're pivoting an existing concept in your head. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of making it more accessible and more kind of an even playing field for everybody to participate. Yeah. So how, what was that process in figuring out what that was actually going to look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, very iterative. Uh, just like started to dig into what what could it look like? What are all the options and paths we could take down to monetize it? Um, and I would say that looking back on the process, it took us a solid six months, almost a year to figure out what the concept was even going to be. During that time, I brought on a good friend of mine as an investor in it uh, because we needed capital, you know, for runway. Right. And uh, I put whatever I had left, um, you know, I put into it as well so that we could try to get this thing going. And yeah, we burned through a lot of cash trying to figure it out. We tried several different things. Um, and it was just like test and observe, test and observe and modify. And and we we finally got to a place where we had to just roll forward with what we had, which ended up being another print publication. Right. I would say the concept being an unusual style of advertising made it hard. It was in print. And, you know, this is back in 2014, mm-hmm. um, 15, digital. I mean, everybody's thinking a lot about digital and lots of people are moving budgets to digital because you could track it and all. And so, you know, we just had a, one obstacle after another one kind of piled up in front of us with it. And it made it very challenging to make sales, uh, even to the point where we we did a, a pray and pay to get a, one of our issues filled, where we just told people, hey, you pray about it and pay what God tells you to pay. Wow. Yeah, and which didn't work out very well. God, God was not on our <laughs> God, side on that one. <laughs> God was not telling people to no, pay very much. No, right. right. And he, and, and. You know, this This is actually, I'm not going to get into the, you know, I'm not emotional about any of this stuff anymore. Like, feel like what I've been through in the last year or so has kind of numbed me. But mm. when my wife talks about any of this stuff, you'd, your microphone here would be wet. But mm. uh, these are hard times. Like, yeah. we're, we're losing everything we have. We're going from comfort and security and home and family. And now we're down in a new place where we've given away everything, we've left home, we've left family, we've left security, and we're struggling with this new thing that God told us to do. Right. You and, invented something new. Yeah. Yeah. And we and we felt like, you know, we're following the Lord's lead on all this. We're looking back at our trail going, where did we misstep? What why aren't things going our way? And and one step after another, it didn't get easier, it just got harder. And not that he didn't provide. He continued to provide. I'm still here today, right? I'm talking to you. So he provided. My wife's here. We're we're right. stronger, but we are we are a little uh, battle worn, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like we've gone through what we would consider the battle of our lives, as we were stripped of of everything we had and everything that we thought to be important to us. Um, so there is that little person of wisdom in us that goes, "Okay, I know that was all for our good." But then there's still that that foolishness in us that's like, man, but I didn't get it my way. Right. I didn't I didn't get the outcome I wanted. And so the story was always for me was I know what I know what the ending is. I've already wrote that God. I'm gonna let you fill in the middle, but just remember I wrote the ending. Right. As long as I end up here, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Right. You know, I remember times where I was yeah, I'd I had to borrow money from my kids' bank accounts. So I'd be on my online account sh- transferring money from their accounts. I mean, we're talking they don't have huge bank accounts. We're talking like shifting hundreds of dollars or maybe a thousand dollars here or there where I needed money to pay a bill that I just had to pay. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. We had friends that, you know, real close friends that knew where we were at on our journey that were literally bringing us rice to eat. Now, that's not all we ate, but they were filling our cupboards with with food so that we could continue to feed our kids. Right. And my wife being security driven and uh, in need of stability, I watched her for years, like in tears. The kids get, you know, they saw her not feeling secure, not feeling taken care of. Uh, but for me personally, just on such a mission that God, you you sent us down this path. What are we doing? Where are we going? What does it need right. to be? And so I'd send the team off on, you know, I remember sending them off on two weeks, just saying, guys, we're done working for a couple of weeks until 
we got to hear from the Lord. I want you guys to read this this book, and you read the this chapter in the the Bible, this book in the Bible, and you do that. Like we're going to go off on a little sabbatical here, and we're going to hear from the Lord at at a time where we had no money coming in and all the money going out. So I was so deeply committed to doing what I thought was God's calling. Mm. Looking back on that, though, I kind of wonder if if maybe my my deepest motivation was really getting the outcome that I wanted. Mm. So these are just the pages in the middle. God, the the deeper you take us, the better story it's going to be, right? Someday I'm going to tell this story and it's going to be exciting because I'll be talking about it from the mountaintops. Right. But I'm not there today. I'm not on the mountaintops. I'm here with you alive. I'm here as an employee of a business working for my friend. Um, but I'm I'm not a you know big successful right. CEO entrepreneur that's you know running some big company right now. So we got to the place where we felt uh, a calling to Colorado. It it became clear. We made a move. Didn't know, again. Didn't know what we were going to do there. We just knew we were supposed to go to Colorado. This was the other place you were considering when you came yeah, to Tallahassee, yeah, right. right? But now we weren't even thinking of going there to do this because this wasn't such a great thing to do, anyways. Right? right. It wasn't working very well financially. Um, I, yeah. lo- I loved the product. Like I loved what we were all about and what we were doing, you know, the team, like all of that was great. It just wasn't producing financially the way that it needed to. Right. So we knew we had to make a change and the change that, and with us feeling a calling to leave to Colorado, that was, that was perfect. You know, we had two people here that were in the business with me that were, you know, capable of running it and doing it and looking at the the budget this business would be successful and support them. So brought them in as partners into it, made the move to Colorado. We didn't know what was in store for us again, but we just knew God was calling us there. Right. And we thought, you know, we're going to do it. So and This we, is 2017? Yeah, 17. Um, and then about three months after being there, we just stumbled into a new concept. I, I, buddy, my, I just asked, I remember being on the phone with my friend, one who invested in that company. I was like, Joe, I don't even know what I'm good at. Like, I'm not good at anything. I don't I don't even, like, I don't know what to do here. I'm in Colorado. Like, we moved here. God told me to, but what should I do? And uh, he's like, I was being real hard on myself. And he's like, you're, I mean, you're really good with kids. And I said, I am really good with kids, Joe. You're right. <laughs> should have stayed being a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> I know. Can we go back and re- right. do a redo? <laughs> um, and I was like, that's a good thing, Joe, but being really good with kids doesn't make anybody money. Like I need to make a lot of money to get out of the the hole I'm in right now. Right. And uh, with five kids of my own, like I got to stop fooling around. And uh, he's like, yeah, I got a buddy who does this uh, tumble bus thing. And I was like, and he goes, that might be a neat business for you to think about. I was like, tumble bus, tell me more. So I got excited. I found uh, some people locally that were doing fun buses and things that were similar and, and talked to them. I lined, you know, just, so tell us what this concept is. What is a tumble bus? Yeah. So, you know, these bus concepts are you build it, take an old school bus, you, you know, refurbish it, build it out to be something, a concept. It could be a, like tumble bus would be gymnastics driven. Um, you know, fun buses would be fun. You know, you'd have different. So fun they drive up, there. kids come in yeah. and do something fun. Right. Okay. Like it, it's their outside activity. Right. So you, yeah, you go up to daycares, preschools, you, you bring kids out in, in waves and uh, entertain them teach them whatever your model is and then right. parents pay for that because they don't want their kids just sitting in the daycare center all yeah. day bored. It's a cold weather state thing to do, right? <laughs> it's probably better, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, I thought, God, I don't want to do a tumble bus or, or uh, I want to do like all sports and I don't want a bus. I want like a huge 10 foot, I want a gym. So I went and built a, a tiny home uh, that would had 10 foot ceilings in it. It was 40 foot long. It was huge. It was like a little gym that you could drive up and then made it super fun. Like, you know, on the inside walls, put all the characters and a projector that projected on the walls. And it was amazing. Um, First version was a typical version one. It's like, it was awesome, but I could find things to, to make better on it. So we built a second one, sent that one to South Dakota with a guy that wanted to, to run the concept there built another version of it that, uh, you know, was ours to use in Colorado. So my wife and I did that for about a year. And it was called My Sport Fort. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. I actually Googled it 
and found it on YouTube. Oh, you did. And watched the video <laughs> of the kids playing and you talking about it. Yeah. It seems pretty awesome. I mean, those kids, I don't know, maybe they were paid actors, but no. they, looked, they looked like they were having fun. <laughs> they love the sport for right. it. So I mean, explain the concept. Yeah. Pretty simple. Um, new sport every week, cycle through a dozen different sports. That way kids get introduced to everything. I mean, everything. We do lacrosse. We have all the kids' sports gear in there. So, you know, so on the weekend, we'd set the Ford up for whatever sport it was going to be for the week. Right. You know, sometimes there was week. turf down. Yeah. Sometimes like court. A, a basketball court or yep. something. Yeah. yeah. We had six turf sports and six court sports. Okay. And then we would just cycle through those sports. And then on the weekend, we'd set it up for that sport. During the week, we'd take it to all the different daycare centers and preschools that we had lined up to be on our route and, uh, you know, market through those those channels to get the kids signed up. And when kids saw the sport for it pulling up, they'd literally be at the window screaming, sport, 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 sport. It was amazing. <laughs> and being a kid guy, like it, it, yeah. it was funny at the end of our days, like, cause my wife and I were doing it ourselves. We were just, you know, we'd drive it around, run the right. sports with the kids, you know, shuffle them in and out. And at the end of the day, which, you know, was usually nap time, for us because kids lay down after their lunch sure. or lunchtime. I'd be like, I can't believe people call this stuff work. Like, this is fun. Right. So we were having a blast. It so was, you felt energized, oh fulfilled. Yes. Everything's, I mean, as far as like your, yourself, Personal. personally, this feels good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Feels good. We decided to take that concept, um, you know, and try to expand it further. You know, we had one in South Dakota. We were going to go take it, take it further than that. I found a guy to run it in Colorado. And, uh, and then I got a call back, you know, felt a calling back to Tallahassee. So my wife wanted to move back. Um, we prayed about it for a long time until we got the answer uh, mm -hmm. to, to move back. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiore Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell. And we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001 because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit FioriCommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Why, why was Tallahassee a destination for you again? Why did you feel, what were you coming back here mm. for? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, community. Like when we moved to Tallahassee, we felt like we got a, like embraced with a bear hug, um, mm. our neighborhoods, our schools, the church, uh, just the the city as a whole. It it like pulled us in, and we felt that. And we didn't know we had it until we left, and and then we didn't have it. Our kids felt it. We felt it. Um, so yeah, we were just missing what had become home, mm. and uh, wanted to get back to it. Okay. All right. So you come back to Tallahassee to vocationally business wise what are you what what are you planning on doing when you get here yeah so at the time the the biz, uh, social business was going through transitions uh, needed me back into it again so that was you know another good reason to come back was to come plug back into it dove back in started to kind of not reimagine the concept but uh you know make some modifications to it right and you know we we're now you know it's the Tallahassee love book we've kind of moved away from the socially loved name and some of the stylistic, uh, legalistic things that we were doing. It's still the same core in that we want to celebrate businesses. We want to celebrate the people behind them. Um, but like being super rigid on a lot of the things that we used to be, that I used to be so rigid on, I've let go of a lot of that and realized there's a lot of ways to celebrate people and places mm -hmm. and and so it it feels it it feels a lot better now to people. It feels better to me. I think we've found a better stride with what it could be. Okay. Um, so you move down here and you're kind of getting your feet underneath you again, and then COVID hits. Yeah. So and what a challenge. Yeah. Especially in a business like this. Right. Um, so you can't. Kids aren't piling into in the Colorado, right? Or yeah, South Dakota kids aren't piling into buses through COVID, <laughs> right? That's over. right or trucks. So, so that that completely shut down that business. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you still had a financial stake mm -hmm. in that, right? Yeah, it was my my business. That was your business, yeah. right? So that ends, mm -hmm. and then it also impacted because a lot of the businesses that would participate in in uh, the Love Book mm -hmm. or socially loved were 
struggling in some of like a lot of hospitality clients and they're not even, they're having to shut down, Right. you know? So what happens, I mean, you're, you're back to, to no money again. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, another, another deep dive, like how can you get any deeper? But, uh, and this, yeah, we were, it was interesting the, the last week of sales on that issue that I had come back to, to, to do the first love book, right. That I spent a, almost a year helping put together starting in 2019 and now it's 2020 it's, it's March. We're wrapping up sales. It's the final week of sales and I'm, I'm walking through doors to wrap it up and people are talking about, Hey, I can't, I can't spend any money right now because of this, you know, COVID thing, this and I'm and I'm going. I don't watch the news, so I'm going. What's what do you mean? And so that day, I remember being downtown, and that day, like five people told me the same thing, and I hadn't heard it up till then. So there must mm. have been something on the news that day, or we were ready to roll out the book, but uh, the world wasn't ready for us to roll it out. So we had to hold back because now all this, you know, it was crazy. So yeah, are, are these businesses going to be open? What are they going to look like? I don't want to advertise. Don't run my ad right now because we don't even know if we're going to have people here. So we just, we put things on hold. We paused for a while, let things shake out for a bit. And pausing in my business means there's no money. Like we have no revenue. Right. So we hit pause and we're on like financially on pause. And, and uh, eventually we did come to a place where we felt comfortable putting one out in the, the fall but I mean, it was still pretty early in COVID. People weren't taking magazines in their offices anymore. They weren't laying around on coffee tables and everybody was, right. you know, if they were, they were getting sprayed down, hosed down with all their, you know, disinfectants and everything. Yeah. So it was just a weird, weird time for print really uh, yeah. because nobody wanted to touch anything. So that yeah. made it challenging for sure. Um, and again, that's heading into 2021 which for me was a, a really hard year, um, you know, coming off of like a, almost a decade of, of what seemed to be failure after failure, you know, seeing everything that I ever had or worked for built up to, you know, stripped away, uh, losing a lot of comforts, a lot of securities, you know, seeing my wife, you know, get to deeper depths all the time in, in her worries and concerns. It was just a really bad year. You know, I'll tell you, uh, I've only started sharing this more recently because I've noticed that when I do, um, there's enough people that probably get to these places, maybe not the same journey that I took, but the, a similar destination. Right. I, I got to a place where I just said, God, I, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, I, don't, I didn't want to do anything to myself. That, that's not, I didn't have a plan to leave the earth, but, uh, but I really would have just asked him, if he could just take me hmm. and, uh, I got good life insurance that'll provide a lot better than I can. Um, my kids are, they don't need me anymore. This is all my self-talk, right? Right. You know, kids don't need me anymore. They've grown out of me. Um, what am I even here for? And so it wasn't, but a week later I started hearing noises in my head that, uh, fast forward three months later, found out that I had a brain condition that uh, needed to be operated on a pretty severe one. And uh, so my my requests of the Lord were appearing to be maybe granted. And you know, what did you, whew. did you think, did you think there was some kind of answer to prayer at first that you had wanted that and now, you know, you're going to be afflicted with this condition that could take your life? For sure. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time with my pastor. It was interesting that that whole year, uh, 2021, I had been meeting with my pastor, uh, David McNeely at Wildwood, great guy. Um, every week, we just were having a weekly meeting every week. He would help me because I was struggling. And uh, so he helped me kind of walk through those thoughts uh, of like, you know, did you bring this on yourself or, you know, what this is. And so, yeah, I, I fully believe that I was getting what I had asked for and that uh, there was calamity coming. And I didn't know if it was going to be like certain death or if there was going to be a part of me that would die or maybe I would come out of surgery and not remember some things or not remember anything or, you know, who are my kids going to see when I got off the table, that mm. that kind of stuff. And, right. and my wife, like, uh, would I be functioning, you know, full functioning, partially functioning or not? Just all those questions were, were up in the air because this, 
this operation is is fairly um, unique and uh, even new. The the guy who did it for me uh, learned under someone about eight years ago a new way of doing it. And he so was done, it a growth, a tumor, or was it a what what was going on? Simple simplest way to think of it uh, or to describe it would be my uh, main artery going up to my brain, up through my neck. Um, was branching off into the vein, the jugular vein next to it. So they call them fistulas, but they're little connections that Mm -hmm. just grew. So I had like over a hundred little connections from that artery into the vein. So my blood that was trying to get up into my brain through that artery was going straight into the jugular back down. And So uh, it was bypassing the brain to some degree. Right. So I still had blood flow from other areas, but that... That was affecting it, and the worst part about it is your veins aren't aren't uh, constructed to handle that kind of pressure. Arteries are stronger for away flowing hard pressure blood, and veins return it back, so they're right. more delicate. So the concern on that is, you know, you can you can burst things, and, and that was the noise I was hearing. It was right by my right ear. My wife could even hear it listening into my ear wow. at times. It wasn't all the time, but it was at at times. So that was a. Uh, Scary. That was scary, and it was a really, really hard month um, when we found out, when I had the angiogram, and he told me told me what it was. He told me how severe it was, and we had a month, really, to prepare for the surgery, you know, and get things kind of in order for that. So, yeah, those were— So what was the prognosis for you at the time? I mean, did, was he confident you'd be okay? Um, well, he had done five other surgeries like this in the past, two— Two went well, um, two didn't go well, and one had a stroke on the table. Wow. So it was kind of like a 50-50, you know, wow. shot. And mine mine was a severe version of, of that. So it wasn't like, yeah, so we got you. real concern here. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely concern. Yeah. So um, what was going, I mean, how were you dealing with this emotionally and the struggles you were having, and now you're in this literal fight for your life? How has that shifted your perspective on everything? Yeah, you know, it was, it was kind of crazy because, um, again, we were kind of connecting, you know, business to life and how everything intertwines. Here we are a year later after we've released our our last issue of the Love Book, and now we're coming up literally on the month that we're supposed to put the next one out, and I'm going in for a brain surgery. Well, the last thing I want to do in my last month, potentially my last month here, is spend time out selling ads. <laughs> Right. right. So yeah. I put, I pushed pause on that right away. And all my clients were very, very, very uh, understanding and supportive and prayerful. And none of them left me. Every one of them just hung in there and said, we're behind you. So I pushed pause. It gave me time to get things in order. And uh, yeah, that was, that was really hard. Um, it was hard emotionally. Uh, grappling with the Lord on it, begging him not to listen to my former self, but to hear the new version of me. Right. Like trying to convince myself that there was a new version of me too, that you know, that I'm not just like crying out in the moment, but that maybe there really could be change in me. Um, that was that was difficult, you know, telling my family what, what had really happened so right. that uh, they would know that these things happen even to your dad, who they believe to be one of the strongest guys in the world, which. I imagine you had to feel at that point that the thoughts of that your kids didn't need you anymore was a lie. Yeah. Um, Yes. When I look in their eyes and I would, talk to them about what was happening. It it became really clear that they needed me. Mm. And I think even they didn't realize how much they needed me until they were faced with this potential reality. Right. Um, I don't think any of us knew, right? That was an eye-opener yeah. um, that I started to— I think I started to believe some things, uh, some truths that were having a hard time breaking through. And, you know, the truth that 
my kids need me. They just need me in a different way now. Right. You know, they need my patience. They right. need my, they need to see me model what they're going to need to be modeling as they are about to become young adults. Um, and then my son, like I said, he, he's 20 now, but you know, he turned 19 and, and he needed me all of a sudden cause he's out living on his own. And, and now he's thinking about things he never thought about when he right. was cooped up in his room playing video games. Now he, now he really does need me and he wants right. me. Yeah. So like God started giving me all of a sudden God started giving me these, um, clues that there was a deeper truth. And, and I started to grab a hold of them and started to believe them. And, right. uh, and that's what made me, and I saw how much my wife wanted me here, even if I couldn't provide the comforts she was used to, if I couldn't provide the security she wanted, um, it didn't matter. She was willing to, she would rather live without any of that than to lose me. So going back to your kind of you know, basketball, big man on campus, all the way back to high school and college and success in business. Part of you believe that your wife, your kids loved you or wanted you for what you could give them Mm -hmm. or what you could provide instead of accepting that they loved you just for you or needed you just for you. Yeah, for sure. It's a performance-based mentality and it, it carries through in my walk with the Lord too. I, I, my mentor, Jeff, who I spoke about, um, always reminds me, Eric, God loves you. Hmm. Jesus is enough. Like, Jesus, look at Jesus. That That's all you need to look at, and that, that shows you how much he loves you. For some reason, I, I have a hard time accepting that the, the truth of that. I don't know what it, what it will take for that one to break through fully. The unconditional aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'd, because I don't... I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it, um, and that's what grace is. But it's it's hard to accept it. Mm-hmm. So I'm on that journey right now. I'm trying. I'm. I haven't fully grasped that truth yet. Uh, but thankfully, I was able to get a hold of the truth that my kids love me, mm-hmm. that my wife loves me, and uh, that's that, a pretty good start. Yeah, right? it's a good start. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> kept me around. Yeah. All right, so your surgery was November 1st, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it was successful. <laughs> Grateful yep. for that. What was life immediately like after that? Because, you you know, you're obviously there's some healing going on. Mm-hmm. And then, but you're still in kind of the same situation you were before all this happened. So how did you deal with all that? Yeah, um, up, until, up until surgery, I had never been willing, you know, you think about 10 years that you go through financial hardship during that time, plenty of people had, had whispered in my ear and some probably shouted and I, I was just tuning out this idea of like, why don't you go take a job for a while? Why don't you go work for somebody else for a bit? You know, just get your feet back under you. And I wouldn't hear it. I would not listen to it. That would be failure to you. That would be death. I would say I would rather die than take a job, which is crazy. I know anybody listening to your program is going to be like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah, something is wrong, right? Because I, I would couldn't fathom the idea of not being an entrepreneur, or running my own business, and uh, yeah, we're not going to unpack all those issues, right? But they're they're in there, right? So <laughs> going into surgery, I, I actually pleading with the Lord told him because looking in my wife's eyes, seeing the pain, and then remembering back to all the years of pain I've given her, and and I did, I said, God. If you get me through this one and I'm even like partially functioning, um, I'm I'm willing to do whatever vocationally. I don't need to own a business. I don't need any of this. I can I can work for someone, like just just give me a shot. Right. So yeah, I get up from off the table from surgery and I'm I'm okay. Like I can walk, I can think, I can talk, I'm I'm full functioning. I mean, they might have actually put a little bit of new brain in me while they were in there. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're getting full blood for the yeah. first time in a while. You know? <laughs> that could be. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I immediately just like stuck to that that promise. I said, all right, I'm going to go find a job. So then all of a sudden, I'm sure my wife is like, what is with this guy? I'm all in on getting a job. I'm I'm interview, you know, applying and interviewing and looking at jobs everywhere. I'm just job, 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 right? Because I'm all in, focused on a job, right? And uh, and I need a job because I've I've pushed 
you know, the love book back. It's not, again, the model wasn't providing enough for us anyways. So it's like I had to kick that can down the road again um, so that I could provide for my family. Right. And uh, during that process, I, um, again, my friend Joe, who's been along with me for the last, well, we've been friends for 15 years, but uh, he's been invested in my businesses and been with me for, you know, most of this journey. Um, he's, his business was going really well during COVID. Uh, it's an online natural health business. So, you know, helps type two diabetics and people with high blood pressure and, um, and does it all online. So COVID was a pretty good, pretty good thing for online businesses. And, uh, his business had grown a lot, was continuing to grow. And he said, I could really use you in my business. So we work that out. I, we can uh, give a little plug for it if you want to. Yeah. Uh, BartonNutrition.com. Okay. He offered me an opportunity to come help him run that business, uh, take over the marketing. And and so I did. Uh, How's that going? Oh, it's amazing. It really is. I I love what I do. I love what the company's all about. I love um, I love the team, the culture, you name it. It's It's been amazing. In the process of that, um, my wife has stepped up to take over the the love book business it, right you know, so it's still going mm-hmm. right and now carrie's running it yeah yeah my kids jumped in this summer uh, you know while dad was kind of going through all this transition and and trying to get again trying to get her feet back under us my kids have jumped in uh, 20 year old 18 year old daughter and uh, they went out they met with people made some sales even <laughs> yeah it was great nice. yeah, yeah it was awesome that must have been uh, a moment of pride for you to to oh, see them out there doing that. So good, yeah. Now, was it hard for you to be that close to it and not be involved <laughs> in it? Yes and no. Uh, yes, because I've been so committed to it for so long and because the genesis of it came through me. Right. No, because I actually enjoy, I'm, I'm finding joy in seeing them do something that is fulfilling for them. Right. They're growing. They're enjoying it. They love, they, they equally love what it stands for. They love what's, what it's about. And they love our, our clients, our advertisers. And so it's actually been really fun for me to kind of step back and see it from a different vantage point. And being the all in guy I am, like now that I'm the CMO at Barton Nutrition, that's I can't stop thinking about it. Like <laughs> I, I sit up at night reading, you know, blogs and and listening to podcasts of, of all the marketing stuff I can do to try to get our products out there. So right. like I'm I'm so focused on that and what we're doing that it's it's really been yeah, that part of it's been pretty easy. Yeah. That's awesome. So you you uh, resist the temptation to give unsolicited <laughs> advice. I try. <laughs> <laughs> no promises. Though. None. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you've talked about Carrie a lot, and I just wanted to just stop for a second and just give you a chance to talk about her role in this journey and what she means to you. I, I, you know, you guys have been through a lot together, so yeah. just want to get your thoughts on on the role she's played in your life. Yeah. Um, gosh, how do you how do you speak about somebody who's carried the load for? 22 years in your life. I mean, she's been 110% supportive of all of my seasons and everything I go through. And for some reason, maybe she's, you know, God put us together because she may be wired this way. She, she says that's her joy. She loves, she loves to support me and what I'm doing. She's a, she's a developer. She's a builder. She's, she's that, uh, encourager with mm-hmm. a lot of empathy. So I think uh, somehow God has worked it out for both of our our good. But uh, I feel like I'm getting the better end of all of it. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, she's she's carried the load for sure. Yeah, this is kind of a weird question given the traumatic event of the last year. But mm-hmm. I I finish every podcast asking these two questions. So, Eric, looking back, what is the one thing or person that has changed the trajectory of your life? to this point? It'd be easy to, to go back because of what's happened and say this event with the brain surgery has made the biggest shift in how I'm, how I'm thinking and, and how I'm feeling and acting out of that. Right. 
Um, that's probably the easiest answer. Uh, but I also don't want to uh, ignore the people that God has used in that process. So you mentioned my wife. Um, I I can honestly say, and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try not to let any tears drop on your mic here. If Carrie hadn't shown me the support and confidence, respect, mm. even when I wasn't didn't deserve any of that, uh, through the things that I've been through, Dave, there's no way I'd be here with you. Mm. There's just no way. She, I'm not sure how people are able to make it through some of the things they go through without having that. I've been, I've been blessed to have uh, just the the deepest unconditional love and respect that uh, is fully undeserved from from Carrie. So, all right, final question. The name of the podcast is How I Got Here. So we've talked about how you got to this point in your life. Where do you think here will be for you in three to five years from now? I, I like this question. Um, and the reason I like it is because I've always been really bad about uh, projecting uh, what is coming for me. Right. If I, if I look back at any point in my life and you'd ask me that question, never would have guessed it correctly. <laughs> so with that track so record in mind, go. this is really yes. easy for me to answer because there's no pressure here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I hope in three to five years, I'm able to move into a new season of life where somehow I can accept God's unconditional love for me. Somehow I can, I can get that because I know people who have it and I'm fully envious of it. Uh, I, I want that I, and three to five years should give me enough time to get there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and embracing that that season that I'm in as as the new best season of my life, whatever ages my kids are, then that and whatever they're into, whatever whatever that may look like, that I'm embracing that as the best season of my life. Um, that's my hope for three to five years from now. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.